Um, please take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 4. We finally come to the end. Um, my goal this morning as we end the book of Philippians, oh, sorry about that. My goal this morning um, is to preach a simple and straightforward message that I hope will, Lord willing, cause you to leave encouraged. It'll cause you to leave strengthened, and it'll cause you to leave praising Jesus. Now, I want to make my main point right here this morning. This is it. This is what I want you to take home with you. If you go to sleep after this, that's okay. Just refrain from laying down. Um, here's my main point this morning. God will take care of his children. We have this as a sure and certain hope of our lives. God takes care of his children. That is why, that's how Paul wants to end his letter. He wants the Philippians to know that they have this certain and sure foundation that God takes care of his children. So, he's going to make this morning, as we read verses 19 through 23, Paul is going to make a huge and sweeping promise based on what Christ has done for us. You see, Paul's assurance, Paul has been assured that God's grace was flowing through the Philippians to him. The gift that they sent absolutely was, was God's grace flowing to Paul. But at the same time, Paul now is going to turn and assure the Philippians and us that God's grace will continue to abound in them and toward them because God takes care of his children. And so, let's read verses 19 through 23. And uh, I'm actually going to start back in verse 10 because it's all about God's provision. Let's start back in chapter 4, verse 10, read through the end of the chapter. Paul says this, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, in, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now listen to this promise. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to give you three basic points this morning. I want you to notice first that this text begins with a personal promise. A personal promise. There are several things I want to point out here, right here at the beginning of verse 19. 
So we're going to go through this very, very seriously, word by word. Look what he says there. First, notice the personal pronouns that Paul emphasizes here. He begins by saying, my God will supply every need of yours. Now, this isn't Paul making a personal promise whereby he's putting God on the hook for something that God never intended. Like, did, is Paul making this promise or is God making this promise? No, Paul knows that his father, his God, has pledged himself in Christ to meet their needs. Listen, the great hope of the Bible is that we will be God's people and that he himself will be our God. That's, all, that's the only reason Paul can use this personal pronoun that my God will supply all of your needs. So Paul can say that because Jesus himself made a very similar promise. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to those that were listening? He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Is life, is not life more than food? Is the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor snore in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. He says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. He says, but first, seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be noticed. All these things will be added unto you. Notice this is a personal. My God has promised to do this. But second, notice the timing of the promise. He says, my God will supply. That is a future Indicative. This means God is promising to carry out, the, carry out this promise, His purpose, both now and into the future. God will continue to do this for His children. He won't just do it once in the past and be done. He won't just give one gift one time and it's over. No, God has promised that He will continue to supply for His children forever. So just as the Philippians have been well supplied, that's what Paul said in verse 18, God will continue into the future, both now and forever, to supply them. My God will supply. It is sure, it is certain. And notice third, the extent of that promise. What does he say? My God will supply what? Every need. Every need, not just a few of them, he will supply every need. Now again, I want to be careful. Paul isn't preaching some pie-in-the-sky promise where God will heal every disease on this side of heaven. Or that you won't have any physical or relational needs or problems. No. Paul is primarily concerned about their spiritual needs. Not their physical needs or their material needs. Like Paul said back in verse 17, he isn't seeking their material benefit. 
Paul is seeking spiritual fruit and blessing. You can't read Philippians 4. I challenge you. Go back and read Philippians 4, 1 through where we are. You can't read that without understanding Paul's primary concerns. His primary concerns are for them to stand firm in Jesus regardless of what they have or don't have or whether they're in sickness or health, in life or in death. Or he won't, and, and, you can, and you'd have to argue that Paul's primary point is for them to find peace in Jesus, not in the things of this world, not in their things, but in Christ. Find peace in Him. And you're to find contentment in Him, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. That's what Paul was concerned about, that they would be thankful and generous in all circumstances through Christ. Now let me again, we have to remember that God never promises His children that they won't suffer. Or that they won't have needs or have wants. Or they won't be poor or destitute. Or that fires won't come. Or that cancer won't visit your home. Or that famines won't come. Or wars or plagues. Quite the opposite. The Bible promises that all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. And through many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. And the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And you know what it says after that? There's only a few that find it. That's what the Bible promises. What God does promise, though, is that His grace will be sufficient in every situation. His grace will be sufficient no matter what. He has promised that He will never leave you nor forsake you. That He will be there in the fire with you when the waters rise. They won't overwhelm you because He will keep you with His mighty right hand. That's what God promises to His children. I will supply every need in that moment by my grace. doesn't mean on this side of eternity that you will be healed or that there won't be trouble. Lastly, notice the confidence that Paul has here about whose needs will be met. Notice what he says, my God will supply every need of yours. Not of just everybody in the world, no, 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 his children. You Philippians, you that know Christ by faith and are united with him, who have been filled with his spirit, forgiven of your sins, adopted into his family, placed into his kingdom, no longer under his wrath, but now under his blessing. God will meet every need of yours. Paul's confidence here is that he is absolutely certain of God's intent to care for his children at Philippi. And he's saying to them and to us that my God is your God. My God will supply your needs. God will care for them just as sure as he will care for Paul, even though he's in prison. Jesus stressed the same truth, by the way, that my God is your God and your God, my Father is your Father. After the resurrection in John 20, when Jesus appears to Mary, this is, listen to what he t Jesus says to Mary after his resurrection, just to assure his disciples. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. That's the point. God doesn't just love one of his God doesn't love one of his children more than the other. All of his children are his children. My God will supply every need of yours. Now Paul can be sure of this because of, because his promise here is based on the foundation of God's work in Christ. We have to trace this promise back to Jesus. 
If you remember, Paul said in Romans 8.32, he says, He who did not spare his own son. So God didn't spare his own son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear that promise in Romans 8? If God gave up Jesus, the greater thing, he will give you what you need. That's like me telling my children, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you all that I have. And then Jake going, well, Dad, can, can I have your watch? This? Compared to everything else I have? You want this? Of course, son, when I give you everything, this comes with it. If God did not spare Jesus but gave him up, that's the greater thing. He will give us the lesser thing. Here, here's the thing. Why would God give us the best, his only son, and not give us the lesser things we need? Why can Paul have peace in every circumstance? Why? Why can he give thanks in every circumstance? The answer is because God will keep his promise to supply Paul with everything he needs. Why can Paul be content with much and with little, with being exalted and being brought low? Because his God will supply every need. Paul has a personal covenant relationship with his God, and, and he, has, he has this relationship with a God he knows and trusts through Jesus. This is a personal promise, but it's only for those who know Christ. If you don't know Christ, this isn't for you. You have to know Jesus. You have to be in a relationship where you can say, this is my God. And he will supply my needs in Christ Jesus. But notice second what this promise is. It's a promise of provision. Notice what he says there at the end of that. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's start first with the supply of this provision. God supplies how? According to his riches. Not simply out of his riches. There's a huge difference between according to his riches and out of his riches. Let me give you an illustration. Most folks know that Elon Musk is one of the richest people on earth. His net worth was $241.4 billion when I wrote this illustration on Thursday. It has probably changed in case you Google it. Let's say that Elon Musk is feeling generous. And he decides to give each of his children that he loves dearly a gift. He has six of them, I believe. And so he gives each of them a billion dollars. At that point, you would like to be one of his children. A billion dollars is, if you don't know, a lot of money. Okay, it's a thousand millions. So he decides to be generous and he gives each of his children a billion dollars. That's six billion dollars. Elon gave that six billion to his children out of his riches. But he didn't give it according to his riches. Why? Because after that, he'd still have $235 billion left over. As a, you know. But let's say he gives each of the six children $40 billion. At the end of that, that's $240 billion. He only has a billion left. That's giving according to your riches. There's a difference between out of riches and according to riches. So Paul's point is that God gives according to his riches. That means he gives according to the scale of his riches. And his riches are inexhaustible. His riches are unfathomable. 
His riches are limitless. His riches are immeasurable. So while Elon can exhaust his great riches and actually give it all away so as to become broke, God cannot. So God's supply will never end for his children, not even in eternity. One of my favorite and most convicting texts in all the Bible is when David falls in sin and God comes to him graciously and offers him forgiveness and repentance. And God says to David, David, I gave you everything. I gave you this kingdom. I gave you riches. I gave you splendor and I gave you glory. And if that was not enough, I would have given you more if you had asked. God gave David all of that. And he wasn't being stingy. And God says, I would have given you more if you had just asked. I'm not saying God's going to make you rich. I'm just saying that God is not stingy. God longs for his children to come before him to receive the grace they need day by day. And he promises to give out of his riches. So, yet, now let's, so God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Notice next the source of the, of the supply. We've seen, we've seen, we've seen the, where it comes from, but notice now, let's turn our attention to the source of the supply. God said, Paul says there, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul gives us here the location of God's riches. They are his riches in glory. This is why I know Paul isn't primarily talking about God giving us material things. The, the riches aren't here on earth. The riches are in glory. God is more concerned, again, with our spiritual condition for eternity. But God's riches are in glory. And I think we need to pay attention to that because what this means is no matter what happens in this life, think about it, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what happens in this life, those riches will never fade, they will never tarnish, and they will never depreciate. That's why all throughout the New Testament we're told to store up our treasures in heaven where moths nor rust destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. So that's the location. They're the riches in glory. But now let's notice the most important phrase in the whole sentence. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is the most important phrase in the whole promise. Why? Because all of God's riches are found in Christ Jesus. All of them. Every blessing we enjoy in this life and for eternity are traced directly back to the Lord Jesus. All of God's grace and mercy and provision and promises are channeled to us through the person of Christ. Now, I was taught years ago in Sunday school that grace means this. The word grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. It's kind of corny, it's a little acronym, it's something we teach children, but it captures the truth that every blessing you ever receive and enjoy, every grace that you ever have received, comes through the riches of Christ Jesus. The New Testament, listen, I want to say here, there are lots of folks in the world who want God's blessings. If you were to ask anybody on the street, do you want God to bless you? They would say yes. They want God's blessings, but they don't want Jesus. And the New Testament says that is an impossibility. You cannot have God's blessings apart from the Lord Jesus. If you want to receive and drink from God's blessings, you have to come to the fountain. You have to come to Christ. Listen to what Ephesians 2, 4 through 7 says. This is what Paul says there. 
He says, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him. You notice all the hymns here. This is Jesus. He raised us up with Jesus and seated us with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's the promise of provision in Jesus. So there's a personal promise, there's the promise of provision, and finally, it's a promise that promotes praise. Notice verse 20. Right after Paul makes this huge promise, what does he say? And he says, to our God, be, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, Paul, Paul can't help but making this personal, right? He and the Philippians are to glorify their God and Father in Christ Jesus. So behind every thought, behind every motive of Paul's heart is this motive that we should glorify God because of Jesus. Listen, the glory of God is the great end for which all things exist. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why you were made, that's why you exist. You don't exist for TikTok. Or for Facebook, or for Instagram, or for basketball. We exist for the glory of God. It's the chief end for which we were made. And here, Paul has made it clear that God is the great giver of all good things, of all provision, of all grace, of all mercy, of all peace, of all contentment. All thanksgiving and praise belong to God. That's a good place to say, Amen. Because that's what Paul says after he praises God, right? Why? Why does, why does all of that belong to God? Because God is the giver. And the giver gets the glory. If God is the one providing for His children this way, then He should get the glory. I actually had a conversation with one of my daughters this morning a funny conversation, petting our dog, who loves to greet us in the morning. I just have to throw this in here now. Petting our dog, and, and, she, and she said, Dad, have you ever heard this before? She says, you pet your dogs, wake up in the morning, and they go, they go, you feed me, you pet me, you care for me, you play for me. You must be God. That's how a dog thinks of us. And then what about the cat? The cat walks in and goes, you feed me, you care for me, you pet me, you play with me. I must be God. It's the truth. Y'all have cats. Y'all know what it's like. But that's, that's the thing. is If God is the giver, He gets the glory. He is the one who provides for us. So, that's Paul's point here. Paul ends with doxology. He can't help himself. He does the same thing in Romans 11. After he preaches on the glory of God, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It seems that every time Paul thinks about the grace of God that has come to him in Jesus, he has to stop and worship. It would seem 
That for those of us who struggle in our affections for Jesus and in expressing our affections, the root issue is that we might not rightly understand the gospel of grace that's come to us. There is no one who experiences the grace of God in Jesus who can remain unmoved in their heart and mind towards Jesus. Now, let me close. I know I've preached a long time, but I want to give you just a few implications as we close here. I want to give you six things this should mean for us, this promise. And my God will supply every need of yours in Christ Jesus. If that promise is true, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, six simple statements. This promise right here at the end of Philippians should grow and increase our faith and confidence in God. As a child of God, you'll never find yourself in a place where God's grace and supply will not be sufficient for you. That should increase your confidence. You should leave strengthened because of that promise. Number two, this promise should shape the way that you pray. We should pray confidently knowing God is there, ready and able to meet the need. There's no deficiency in His person, in His promise, or in His provision in Christ Jesus. If God has promised this, you should pray boldly. You should come when you're needing and needy and hurting, going, God, here I am. Fill my cup because it's empty. It should shape the way you pray. It should shape the way you worship. When we come here to worship, we don't come here to add anything to God. We don't come here to increase His glory or His beauty or His riches. We come only to receive, only to be blessed by Him. We come in worship, declaring that He is altogether sufficient, altogether worthy, altogether glorious. It should shape the way we worship. It should also change the way we give. This promise is meant to encourage and promote generosity. After all, the Philippians gave to Paul, and then Paul receives it, and Paul turns around and says, God's going to meet your needs. The shorthand version of that is you can't outgive God. That's the shorthand version of it. Paul says God's going to supply every need of yours in Christ Jesus, so give. Be generous to other people. Third, fifth, this promise should empower us to live holy lives and to put sin to death. Are you struggling in sin? You struggling battling addiction? You struggling with anxiety and worry? Maybe discouragement? God says, I'll supply every need of yours. Come and ask. The writer of Hebrews says, Come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain the grace you need in a time of the grace you need in your time of need. So that should encourage you to, to, to live holy. Lord Jesus, make me like you. And then sixth, this promise should embolden our witness for Jesus. God has given us His Spirit, He has given us His Word, and He has given us a command to go and make disciples. And if you're saying, well, I can't do that, I'm too weak, I'm too frail, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, then I'd ask you, do you believe this promise? My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in Christ Jesus. God has promised that in those moments He'll tell us what we need to say, because it'll be Him speaking through us and not us. He should empower us for mission. Now, as I close, these promises are, believe, are for believers who are living out, out of faith in God's promises, a, a faith that causes them to, leave peace filled, to live peace-filled, contented, generous lives. It's for those who have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus as their Savior. He's my Savior, my Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would take your word 
challenge us deeply with it. Father, we're thankful for your word that you've given us, that we can rest in it. And so, Father, we believe that today, that you will supply every need of ours according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So, Father, may that promise strengthen us, encourage us, and embolden us to live for your glory. Father, be with us now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.